Thank you to everyone who supports the show and all the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers and getting access to the Major Spoilers pre-show where we talk about things like Jellystone, the ideal movie length, and what we're watching, reading, or playing right now. So find out more and sign up today, patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew Ramon. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, one, two, three, four, the Ramones meet the Archies in perhaps the most outré crossover in Riverdale history, and they've met the Predator, the Punisher, and the Groovy Ghoulies. There's Cartman coming to the big screen, Stargirl on the CW, and several Sinister Six is stalking Spidey, so settle stuff, sit still, and savor some symphonic sociopathy as Ashley Etonon, Superior Steven, Rodrigo Rejillo, and the Mighty Mighty Matthew bring you fresh-picked pop culture with just a hint of sea salt, because the major spoilers podcast is farm to table, and it's on the air. Welcome to issue 938 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Gaba gaba hey, gaba ho. Uh, this week we will be looking at Archie's Meet the Ramones and Lady Gaga and maybe, unfortunately, Mark Zuckerberg. But that's later in the show. First, let us uh, get to some news. Matthew, you're so, going to start us off this week. I know. So anyway, you guys remember that South Park, right? Mm -hmm. The South Park was a cartoon. Trey Parker, Matt Stone have struck a deal with Viacom that will see not one, not two, not three, but 14 South Park movies headed to Paramount Plus. In addition to the movie deal, Comedy Central has renewed the animated series through the 30th season uh, in 2027. Uh, according to Bloomberg News, it's a $900 million deal. 14 movies over six years. Holy moly. I, the, the, I don't, I mean, South Park is fine. If you enjoy South Park, great. Sometimes I enjoy it, but it's, it, to me, it gets a little bit too extreme. I enjoyed the very first South Park movie, uh, more than I probably should have. What mm -hmm. I find most fascinating about this story is it comes right on the heels that, uh, uh, Trey Park and, and Matt Stone have struck a deal to buy Casa Bonita in, Denver, it's, it's really struggling after, after COVID. And of course, some of the stuff was, you know, not as great as it used to be, but they announced that they wanted to keep Casa Bonita around Cartman's favorite uh, Mexican restaurant and keep it going and, and maybe improve it a little bit. But if they're going to buy Casa Bonita, they're going to need some money. Hey, what happens? They got a, this uh, $900 million deal with uh, Paramount plus to bring us 14 more South Park movies. So that's my only interesting take on this. Matthew, did you have a, have a thought? 14 movies in six years is 2.3 something movies per year. And while I, you know, I was a really, really heavy duty South Park fan in the 90s, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's one of those things where it's just, you know, a big silent majority of people who have this groundswell of love and want to see a South Park movie every six months for the rest of their natural lives. But this really feels like a lot. And it depends on what they're counting as a movie, right? And this is on Paramount that's Plus. True. So is it going to be 75 minutes? Uh, right. That's like three episodes back to back. These guys can crank a 90 minute episode like their Imagination Land trilogy. Yeah, which, they, they can know, crank that good. out. They can crank that out in, in like a weekend. Uh, so I, I don't think that this is going to be that that big of a deal. I don't think that this is going to be, you know, Oscar winning South Park, uh, the movie. Uh, kind of quality, but it's, it's definitely going to be straight to, to home video, which is what Paramount plus is Rodrigo. What are your thoughts? I think there's like a real monkey monkey's paw thing going on. Right. <laughs> Where like these guys were like, I wish, I wish that our very first thing that we did that got popular, that we just do this forever, 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 forever. And here they are, man. They're like, <laughs> you know, I don't know late forties, maybe still doing South park. Like, do you think they get tired of it? Like they just, it's just been going on for so long. And now it's like, not only is South park still going, but there's going to be most more South park while South park is going on. And I'm like, 
I think I would get tired of it. Like, I don't know. If I was working it, I would get very tired of it. If, what, 30 plus years of The Simpsons going on, you know, what, 40 years of The Simpsons. Yeah, but so. it's not the same people necessarily. Yeah. If they're having fun and, with it, let them have fun with it. Uh, also, Matt Stone, 50 years old. Born in 1971. Okay. Trey Parker's 51. Yeah. Ashley, what's going on in the world of the Suicide Squads? Well, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad opened <laughs> this past weekend. You got to say it like that. It's pretty much the law. And according to box office returns, only brought in $26.6 million during the first three days of release in North America. Worldwide, it has brought in $72.2 million. But comparatively, for a little context, A Quiet Place Part 2 brought in $48 million. F9 brought in $70 million. And Black Widow brought in $80 million in their U.S. opening weekend debuts. Unfortunately, this has caused a lot of people to claim the movie is a failure because of the $185 million budget. Uh, and the 100 million advertising budget spent on the film. We'd love to know what you think. Spoiler rights. You can hit us up on the Discord. That's a good place to share all of your thoughts. But I want to know who on the podcast has thoughts about success or failures of the Suicide Squad. <laughs> the Suicide Squad, which my son watched today <laughs> and said he, that my oldest, uh, watched today and said he enjoyed it thoroughly. I watched it over the weekend, Friday night, I think. I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I thought it was a lot of fun. For the stuff that it was, I've said for what decades now that Starro would make for a great uh, villain in a movie. And uh, James Gunn proves me right here for people that are like, ah, this movie is a failure. This movie is a failure. Keep in mind that Warner Brothers has not announced uh, what their subscriber numbers are and what they're pointing towards. Um, su- the I'm sorry, actually, the Suicide Squad. For HBO Max, because that was the thing. Of course, there's people that are saying, well, if they would have released it in the theater, they would have made more money. Well, also, if they would have released it in the theater, they probably would have had the same amount of people going because uh, of COVID, uh, new lockdowns, people wearing masks, people are freaking out again. So uh, personally, I think people are blowing this quote unquote failure out of out of uh, proportion and not taking into account that, you know, three weeks ago with Black Widow was a lot different than three weeks later with The Suicide Squad. So I think Warner Brothers and James Gunn and everybody involved in this film is going to be just fine. What do you think, Rodrigo? Uh, I think you're right um, as far as everybody being fine, because I think that uh, they've used this year to really test out the like day and date release, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, for For streaming services. And they're like, you know, they've been like, hey, what if we release a movie uh, that has, you know, a strong but small fan base, all things considered, like Mortal Kombat? Okay, that this is what the numbers are telling us. Let's do Suicide Squad and let's put a hundred million dollars uh, in advertisement and let's see what happens there. And it's like, I think you can see it as the other way around. I think that this was probably an extremely successful um, streaming um project that also happened to bring in a bunch of money at the theaters. Yeah. You know? That's so that's how I look at it too. It's it's interesting that the issue there is that anybody can interpret those numbers any way they can or any way they want, right? So later on if the leadership changes or there's any sort of issue, they might just be like, "Oh, we'll never do that again because look at these numbers." Um but I think the the current leadership is actually just really trying to test the waters. Yeah. With uh, with this sort of thing. Interestingly, Warner Brothers just concluded uh, today, I want to say, uh, talks with AMC to also make their movies 45 days. Uh, now, pretty much the industry now is 45 days from release to uh, streaming or to, you know, Blu-ray DVD type stuff uh, for those movies to get out there. Uh, Ashley Rodrigo and I have shared our thoughts on this news about the Suicide Squad. What are your thoughts about the Suicide Squad? Did you watch it? Mm, oh, Ashley. me? No, Ashley. Oh, Ashley. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it, you that was like Ashley, comma, Rodrigo. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I'm that's an actor. Fine. I can pick up cues. Uh, I did not watch it. <laughs> you instead went to watch uh, the, the Green Knight, which uh, is one that uh, A24 specifically said, we're not going to put on streaming on, on day and date release, but instead uh, took it to the, to the theaters only. You watched it at a drive-in? Yeah, I'm not going back to a cinema. That's, That's why I don't, I'm not going to the screener of Shang-Chi because Marvel said they wouldn't send us a digital one. Yeah, that that's uh, kind of 
its own own can of worm, worms right there. Maybe we'll talk about that in a in another uh, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but yes, I want to see. Uh, uh, truly, having not seen Suicide Squad, I bet you the Green Knight's better. Go see it; it's great. I, I really wanted to see it. I'm going to wait until I don't know what window A24 has. I don't know what the digital release of this is, but it's one that I was they usually turn it around pretty quick. Yeah, I was a little disappointed that it, that they didn't do day and eight. But if they want to do it straight to theater, that's fine. Uh, you know, I have been for probably five or six years not going to the theaters on day and date release. And if I miss something, I'll just wait for it to show up on, on streaming. So I'm okay with waiting a little bit longer on green night, but it definitely looks trippy and crazy and intense. So I can't wait to see that. Uh, you know what else people can't wait to see tonight, right? As we are recording this episode of the major spoilers podcast, it's star girl season two. And according to Jeff Johns, season two of star girl is about to take a dark turn. Nick Terabay, the pilot. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nick Terabay has been hired to play Eclipso. For those of you that uh, know your Eclipso lore, and Jonathan Cake is showing up as the Shade. So things are going to get kind of dark right there. In a Q and A session, John said that uh. the show will draw inspiration from Lost Boys, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Young Sherlock Holmes for season two. And for those uh, wondering where the Star Girl fits into the greater DC television universe, be on the lookout for one John Wesley Ship to appear as Jay Garrick meaning that Stargirl is part of the Arrowverse. So there you go, Matthew, right from the horse's mouth himself, John Wesley Shipp appearing as Jay Garrick in season two of Stargirl. Well, I mean, Stargirl was established as part of the Arrowverse coming out of Crisis on Infinite Earths. But yeah, I'm most excited about seeing uh, John Wesley Shipp as what I presume is another Jay Garrick. Because we've seen the Justice Society in that universe, and we've seen, you know, bits and pieces of it. As someone who watched all of Stargirl Season 1, I was more impressed than I expected to be. I mean, for all of the jokes that I could make about Stargirl as one of the just amazing Mary Sues of comics, I kind of liked it. And I felt like I liked the supporting cast. A lot. I liked, you know, the general arc of things. There were some real boneheaded moments getting there. But by the time we got to the end, I kind of felt like, yeah, go Stargirl with your enormous forehead and do your cool, awesome thing. So I'm kind of interested to see what's coming up. I know that they promised us uh, possibly Jade. But yeah, I'm here for the John Wesley ship. I'll go anywhere. Watch one John Wesley ship. I mean, I watched Ryan's hope at one point for God's sake. Yeah. Rodrigo wrap up our news segment for us this week, please. Okay. Uh, turns out comics are for kids. <laughs> uh, according to publishers weekly children's graphic no- novels rose 123% in 2020 and 2021. According to Deborah Halverson an editorial consultant, 2020 e-commerce increased astronomically. And those growth numbers are even higher in early 2021. A, quote, hybrid of digital and physical book buying and selling, unquote, is emerging throughout the industry and will only continue going forward. The only category that took a dip in sales according uh, in sales during this period was juvenile nonfiction. But Halverson sa- expects those numbers to bounce back once the school year begins. Uh, for st- far too long. Everyone just dismisses the YA graphic novel market as nothing, as just, you know, those book fair things that kids buy. And then they constantly get surprised when uh, Dog Cop or Dog Man or whatever it is and Captain Underpants uh, sell billions and billions of copies. And uh, they sit there scratching their head going, why can't we sell Batman like this? And so, uh, yeah, there is a huge untapped market. And I think IDW Publishing and now DC Comics with whatever has become of their DC Zoom Inc. DC Kids thing, whatever it is right now, they're starting to realize that, hey, we can get these into kids' hands and with, unfortunately, people going back to the classrooms and the return of these um, book fairs. I think we're going to see even more graphic novels shoot up the charts before the end of the year. Ashley, you have some thoughts on this? I just want to say Stephen and I were right and have always been right yep. and will always, always be right. Yep. Neener, neener, neener. Yep, that is right. And dear listeners, you can join our conversation, as Ashley just said a few moments ago, by jumping over into the Major Spoilers Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. All you have to do is just go to it. There's a link there in the show notes. Just click on it. It'll open up Discord app, and you can just join in there, and everyone will welcome you. There are all sorts of awesome people over there. But listen to this. 
If you have a Patreon account over at patreon.com slash major spoilers, which if you don't by now, you really should. You can link your Patreon account to the Discord server and you get access to even more channels than what you have as a non-patron, including being able to come in and join the live dueling review uh, recording that we do Thursday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central. Uh, if you're a gold level member, you get access to the monthly VIP live chat uh, and you also get access to the GM roundtable, which is a Patreon only exclusive about how you can become a better game master. Those are things that you can listen to live and interact with us with stages and with the chat rooms and all of that stuff. When you link your Patreon account to the discord server, you can find out more about that over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. But in the meantime, just jump into the discord server, say hi to everybody. It's a great group. It's a great community. You really should go check it out. And Ashley just said, Stephen is always right. So if you go over to the discord server and you meet a bunch of people, you can say, "Wow, oh my God, Stephen's right again. In the meantime, let's check out some reviews and see where we're going from there. Uh, let's see. Who are we going to start with, uh, Matthew? Let us start with you with uh, Sinister War number two. This is a Spider-Man book, right? Or is this an X-Men book? This is a Spider-Man book. This is coming out of Nick Spencer's run on Amazing a Spider-Man. Now, here's the thing about the Sinister War. I really kind of enjoyed issue one of Sinister War. Reviewed it for the website. You should go check it out, majorspoilers.com. Uh, go check on the reviews. You can click on a whole bunch of them. There's really great reviews from people who write much better than me and make me jealous, but there's also stuff from me. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about Sinister War number two. Sinister War number two has two writers, four pencilers, five inkers, and features the amazing Spider-Man, one Peter Parker, facing <gasps> Dr. Octopus, the Lizard, Craven the Hunter, Mysterio Sandman, Electro, Jack-O-Lantern, the Foreigner, Slide, Chance, Taskmaster, the Black Ant, Overdrive, Hydro-Man, Speed Demon, Boomerang, the Shocker, White Rabbit, Electro, the Beetle, the Trapster, Lady Octopus, Scorpia, another Craven the Hunter, another Electro, the Vulture, Tarantula, the King Cobra, Stegron the Dinosaur Man, Scorpion, the Rhino, and Kindred. So basically everyone on the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 100, plus a few more. Basically everybody in the universe. There are literally two Electros, two Dr. Octopuses, two Lizards, and... Everybody in this issue is out to kill Spider-Man. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like, you know, there is no kill like overkill. And sometimes it's fun to see somebody really, really overpowered. The issue that I have here is that this story starts with Mark Bagley and Spider-Man getting beaten up by the foreigners wild pack. And just as he's about to be executed, we cut back with a tagline that says, earlier to see how the wild pack showed up. Then we see Spider-Man somehow in combat with the sinister syndicate and another time jump that says earlier where we see how the sinister syndicate got here. Then we see Spider-Man without resolving either of those previous battles where by the way, he seemed to be dead in both cases, all of a sudden facing off against a different group. Uh, I can't even remember the name. I think it's the sinister syndicate now. So you have this ongoing, uh, kind of a conceit through the story where it's non-linear for Spider-Man, but I can't follow it. I've read this book four times and I can't figure out what's happening. We see Spider-Man shot by the foreigner stabbed by a Craven, the hunter. We see Spider-Man nearly killed by the Savage six. And as the issue ends, we see all of the villains being assembled by kindred and told, help me kill Spider-Man and punish his sins and take him to hell. Which means that as this story ends, we're actually at a point before the previous issue ever began, I guess. And it's really difficult for me to go through this and say, this is a coherent uh, issue of comic books. I mean, I don't mind the fact that it has 22 villains. I don't mind the fact that it has multiple writers and multiple pencilers. I mean, it's a big crossover. That happens. Sometimes you need multiple people to get a book out, and I'd rather sometimes have it on time than have it necessarily be six and a half months late, like you know we saw with previous crossovers, or get to the end and go, oh, crap, we need to add an entire issue to Secret Wars or Infinite Crisis or you know Secret Empire. But as this issue continues, it feels like 
the whole impetus behind this is this one goes to 11. And that's great as long as you're turning it up to 11 on, you know, a Spinal Tap song that I want to hear. And I just, I, I, I can't recommend this particular issue because I don't know what's going on in this particular issue. And maybe there's an issue in between Sinister War number one and Sinister War number two that clarifies everything. Maybe I needed to be reading all 16 Spider-Man titles. I don't know. I'm going to go with two slices of meatloaf because the art is mostly pretty good. And I do appreciate how there are little bits and pieces where we see, you know, Dr. Octopus is cloned and back in his uh, regular portly body with the bowl cut and upset because he's no longer the cool spiffy superior Spider-Man. And we do have moments where, you know, the syndicate teams that are ripping each other off actually take time to mock each other and go, why are you ripping me off? And there is an argument on whether or not they should hire more guys who can fly. But I mean, those are nice little set pieces in an issue that just doesn't work for me Mm, at all. Two slices of meatloaf. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, Something that, I, I thought it was going to be a big hit for my youngest son, but he kind of just was, didn't seem interested in it is the mysterious Benedict society over on Disney plus. And I guess the final episode dropped last week, Rodrigo, and you've already had a chance to, to watch it. Yeah. On Friday. Yeah. How was it? Uh, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, like your son, pretty much everybody's sleeping on, uh, the mysterious Benedict society. Um, and I think it's just because it doesn't have, you know, the oomph of the Marvel universe behind it, but mm-hmm. it still lives in the same menu, right? Um, so it started out while, Lo- while Loki was going on, and already uh, the screeners for What If are out. So, like, mm-hmm. nobody cares. Yep. Um, but I care because just kind of on a whim, um, largely because I, I saw the... I, I saw a, I saw pictures from it, and I thought, I bet you this show has like a, kind of an aesthetic to it. So I kind of want to mm-hmm. see what it is, mm-hmm. um, and it does. In fact, uh, we talked about it kind of looking like a Wes Anderson thing, um, sort of like uh, it, like largely impossible to tell if this is is like anywhere from like. 1945 to 1979, right? Um, so it's kind of hard to tell what what all is happening as far as that. But um, uh, the last episode drop, it uh, ties up the first season. Um, it has a, a twist that I didn't see coming, um, which, you know, now that I go back and look at the stuff, it was set up and that's why it's impactful, right? Big. They they set it up pretty well. It happens, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I didn't. I like woke up my dog when I gasped, <laughs> um, because because uh, that's when I watch TV is when everybody else is asleep. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, the acting in it, it's really fantastic. There's uh, four kids in it, and they do a great job. Um, and of course, as uh, you know, Kristen Schaal. Kristen Shaw playing like kind of a like more much more of like a straight man character character mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to playing like the like the really wacky character um, and does does a good job and of course uh, Tony Hale playing two different characters which is uh, which he does really well and it's kind of annoying to even say but it's like yeah it's like you forget that that's actually the same actor playing both of those characters, even though, you know, they don't do anything to his face or anything. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, they have the same face. Um, but yeah, you kind of get lost in the fact that they are very different people and he does it really well. And I just think like, and I remember having this thought that is like, wow, they should give him an Emmy. And then I thought it was like, oh yeah, this is always what people do who want an <laughs> Emmy. It's like, uh, what's the name of Mr. Tumnus Xavier was like, I want I want like an Oscar. And so he did split. James because of McAvoy. Yeah. James McAvoy is like, if I can wow, get a movie breathy. in which I play multiple characters, that's like, you know, it's like that, that's going to push me forward. That's going to make people pay attention. People mm-hmm. will be like, wow, what a great actor. Cause he can wear two different types of hat. Right. <laughs> so, and that's, and that's fair, but Tony Hale does do a very good job. Um, it's, uh, you know, 
the Mysterious Benedict Society is a show about empathy, about children interacting with the world, about adults interacting with children. And it has a lot to say about that. It has a lot to say about how children should be fostered. It has a lot to say about how you shouldn't treat children if you look at the ways that the basically the villains of the piece interact with children. Um, and, you know, nobody, nobody like hits a child or anything. It's just in the way that they verbally interact with them. There's a lot there. And yeah, this show's been like a delight from start to finish. Um, it's really good television. It's good family television. Like it's something that I think people can watch with their kids and really enjoy. Um, and you know, it's not, uh, the stakes are still pretty high. The, the kids are kind of embedded in this organization, uh, that is bad. And by the end of this, they have, you know, it, it, it comes to a head and they have to basically decide whether they're going to take it down or give up or run away or whatever. Um, and, uh, of course, everything it gets wrapped up, but also set up to keep going, right? So hopefully we'll get another season. I'm curious how another season would go because so much of the structure of this um, is based on where the characters end up, which is a school. And that school clearly has been dis- like disassembled by the end of the uh, uh, by the end of the series. Wow, right? Spoiler just, alert, like, Rodrigo. Jeez. The the setup. I mean, the setup can't exist like it is anymore. So it would be interesting yeah. to see how they do it. Um. So yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. Again, it's you know it's good TV. Um, and, uh, you should watch it. All right. Well, maybe I can get him back into it. I can try to prime away from the, uh, Owl House and Craig of the Creek and get him to watch this. So, all right. Uh, out this week from Dark Horse Comics, it's unbelievable. Unteens number one from Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook. Uh, you know, Tyler Crook's art from Harrow County. Uh, so if you like his art style, you're going to love Unbelievable Unteens. This is set in the Black Hammer universe, and I haven't been reading much in the Black Hammer universe, except everybody loves the Black Hammer universe. This, I think you go into it not needing to know anything else about the Black Hammer universe, except that we get uh, introduced to artist Jane Ito at a comic book convention, and we find out she's overworked and overstressed, but her own comic creation, uh, her comic series, is doing really well. Everybody really loves it. Everybody feels really invested in the characters. And then one night she's at home and a ghost shows up in her apartment. And it turns out it is the dead. Um, it's a, one of her characters from her comic book series that shows up. Who's been dead for a while. And now he's this kind of burn victim looking ghost. And he's like, uh, listen, Jane, you are actually part of this superhero team. Uh, you know, something has happened to you to where you don't remember anything about your time in the superheroes yet you're writing all about it in these comic books. We need to go and find everybody. We need to go and rescue everybody. And so by the end of the issue, she believes, and there's also maybe a little bit of scary stuff that goes on in this as well. So it's one of those, you know, you thought you, uh, kind of like the, um, what was the trade we read not too long ago? The unwritten, was that the name of it? It's Mm kind of like that where Harry Potter suddenly finds out that, Uh, This book about him is real. Same way with Jane here. She's been writing this series and now she finds out it's actually all real. So that is going to start her on her hero's journey in unbelievable unteens. Number one from uh, dark horse comics. Uh, I thought this was kind of a slow start. It's also somewhat predictable in the way it plays out. I mean, once you know what the setup is and once you know what's going on, it's like, Oh yeah, now this is going to happen. Now he has to prove to her that this is real. Now there has to be some kind of incident that happens to further cement her belief that everything, uh, she thought was just imaginary is real. I think that may be a little bit of its downfall, but I'm interested to see what happens in the next issue. Fairly solid story. I'm giving this three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. So there you go. Now, Here's the part of the show where everybody can lose their collective crap. Ah. Ashley Victoria Robinson has already seen Marvel. What if episode one 
This is the one, I think this is the one with uh, Captain, not Captain Britain, but uh, Captain... Uh, Captain Carter. Yeah, Captain Carter, right? So what's going on? Marvel, what so, if? Episode one, Ashley. I've actually seen all three, but I'm they're releasing weekly, so it didn't seem fair to talk about all three, but... Yeah. If you guys want to ask me questions, I, ha- I have here, questions. I have questions. I will answer them. That's totally fine. Uh, the first episode is Captain Carter. I watched none of the trailers, so I knew pretty much nothing going in. So for me, this was a delightful surprise. This episode, I will say, and and the other episodes that I've seen do follow in the style take a key moment or storyline that you love from the MCU and remix it. Jeffrey Wright bookends the episode, and that's commentary throughout as Uatu. Uh, He's pretty distant in this episode, but gives really good scary space guy voice. Hilly Atwell crushes it in this episode. She's so good. Uh, The animation was a little uh, I want to say lighter like the characters didn't feel like they had enough weight yeah. to them but, uh, uh, in that's... my opinion you get used to it as you go along because the story's fun and it's like you're it's people that you like and um, she's also joined by Sebastian Stan who reprises his role as Bucky Barnes pre-winner soldier uh, amazing Neil McDonough is back as Dum Dum Dugan an unsung hero of the MCU in my opinion uh, no Chris Evans really? as Steve. I, that's surprising I, because I thought he had come in to record bits for for that. So they do lift dialogue directly from the oh, movies. Oh, okay. So there is some Chris Evans lines, but all the original stuff, and I will say the full cast was not on the screeners. It is not on IMDb yet, so I cannot tell you at this time who is playing Steve in the alternate recordings or if that will be made public. But it's definitely not Chris Evans throughout. It is their love story uh, against a different backdrop. And something that I really appreciate about this first episode, it's something that's really important to me about this version of Peggy Carter and her relationship with Steve, um, which you do see in the movies. When Peggy has a picture of Steve on her desk, it is Steve pre-Super Soldier Serum. It is the scrawny little kid from Brooklyn who's like in his purest, most like heroic form in a lot of ways and there's uh, a little accident and so peggy ends up being the one who gets the injection she doesn't quite go full she hulk but she is bigger she is a strong lady who is taller than everyone else like i know peggy carter is always hot but like she's very very hot (laughs) in this and her and steve still have what you would consider like a sort of by rote love story like she loves him even though he's not big sexy huge pectoral muscles captain america and that's like truly my favorite favorite thing about the episode it gave me all of the feels it was you get the train job uh you get to see whether or not bucky gets his arm ripped off just like we saw in the first movie Uh, howard stark is much more present in this um and it is actually dominic oh boy i can't remember your last name and i didn't write it down cooper thank you so much uh doing a truly phenomenal american accent and seeing him be a bigger part, even though the character model at one point is fully wearing a suit and should have armor because they do huck him out into the field, um, is really funny. The way that the Iron Man suit gets brought into this is yeah. really organic um, and feels true to the rules of the universe. So for me, and, and I am super biased, I think the Captain America trilogy is my favorite trilogy of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like my favorite MCU thing that I've seen in a while. I think it's the best thing I've seen since Endgame. Um, and it's, uh, uh, definitely my favorite of the Disney plus show. So I can't, other than I would have thought Disney would have thrown a little bit more money into the animation, but it's not bad by any means. And I don't mean that as a dig to the animators because you work with what you have. Um, and sometimes the fight sequences, it looks really good, but when they're just sort of having casual quiet moments, it looks less good. And we understand that as, as an, uh, allocation of resources, but, uh, I truly can't say enough nice things about Marvel, what if? And then, um, and this is a very privileged place to come from. Then I was mad that I have to wait three more weeks before I get to see anything <laughs> new. So <laughs> I, I, I have seen the trailers. I haven't seen the episode yet. 
I agree with you in the animation style because this is basically 3D figures with cartoon shading on them. It's, and it's I not quite hate. rotoscoping. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. I hate when they take 3D stuff and just slap a, a filter on it or a shader on it. Because to me, it's the nice thing is that it gives you options for camera placement and doing big action sequences and that kind of stuff. You can just animate it very easily. I hate it because with 3D faces, especially in the way that they're doing it here, it loses a lot of the uh, character, the human nuance that you might see in yeah. a in a uh, uh, Disney or Pixar movie. So that's probably going to be the hardest thing for me. The question that I have for you, Ashley, mm -hmm. is does this feel, and I, I don't know if you've seen Loki or not, but does this feel like it it ties into and is part of no. Loki and the MCU? No, but I, I will say uh, in this episode most prominently, but in all of the episodes that I have seen, there is a very clear way uh, that this is going to tie into uh, Doctor Strange too. Okay. All right. I was just curious because, you know, they they make a point of uh, showing the timeline splitting and all these different realities are are possible. And we have Huatu, uh, Jeffrey Wright, talking about. Uh, yeah, uh, not in not in what I've seen, which is not to say that in the episodes to come, but definitely not in this specific episode now. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't look like they did get replacement actors for um, Chris Evans. It also looks like Robert Downey Jr. is not in this and Brie Larson are not reprising their roles in this series as far as their voice acting goes. So that'll be interesting because it's uh, episode two, Iron Man, the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, uh, Tony Stark story. Uh, no, Iron Man does not figure prominently into the first three episodes. Episode okay. two is, um, and this is all available online. Let's not me spoiling it is, is, uh, T'Challa Star-Lord. Oh, okay. And, uh, right. episode three is an Avengers story. Okay, cool. Well, I am looking forward to this. Uh, it By the time you're listening to this uh, episode, ladies and gentlemen, it is probably already out in your area, uh, unless you're in Europe, and then maybe it'll be another six months before it shows up. So uh, there you go. Uh, so I'm excited. I, I do want to check this out. I think a lot of people are excited. Unfortunately, Rodrigo, as you said, it does, uh, <laughs> does kind of make the mysterious Benedict Society, which I've heard nothing but glowing uh, reviews of, uh, kind of yeah. get cast by the wayside, so. Yeah, not enough. Not enough people have seen it to like be mad at it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I've, um. Nicole Spagnolo, who's a friend of the show, she has young kids about uh, my youngest son's age, and she said that they've watched it and were her oldest son was into it. The youngest starter maybe a little bit too intense in in moments because of the what is it called the big scare or the big threat or the big the emergency the emergency that's what it is maybe a little yeah. bit too intense for really young kids. Yeah. Um. So so that kind of stuff maybe. Uh, Something to look at. Anyway, uh, listeners, we want to know what you think about uh, our comments so far. If you'd like to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, just drop us a line, 785-727-1939, and you may hear your voice on a future Major Spoilers podcast. So this week, we're taking a look at the Archie crossover co uh, collection from Archie Comics. Uh, this features Archie and the gang meeting real-life people. And originally, I wanted to do the book, the comic book, um, Gaba Gaba Hey Gaba Gaba Ho, um, the comic book adaptation of the Ramones life story, but we cannot find that in a digital form and the publisher never got back to me. So the next best thing is to have the Archies and the Ramones meet. And the reason why I did that is because on the 16th of this month in 1974, that is when CBGB introduced the Ramones in their first public performance and that is, uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this. Plus, I really just like the Ramones in general, uh, and like their music. But uh, in this case, Archie and the gang, their band, they're in the Riverdale High Battle of the Bands. And of course, they're having their falling out and they think that they're no good and they're not going to, they think they're not going to win until Sabrina the Teenage Witch shows up with a first printing, first signing of the Ramones album. And she says, oh, gee, Archie, uh, maybe you should listen to this record and it'll give you inspiration. And suddenly... As Archie plays the record, he is cast back into time, 1974, when he and Betty and Veronica and Jughead and Reggie all get to meet the Ramones and they all get to participate in uh, a battle of the bands that the Ramones are participating in. And they learn, I don't know if they learn what it means to be a punk rocker uh, or not, Matthew, but that's kind of what the, the gist of the story is. 
they learned that in order to be successful in punk rock or anything, you just have to enjoy yourself and be true to your own sound and blah, 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 hippity hoopla. And it's really kind of cute. I really love the fact that, you know, throughout the issue, there's the, throughout the story, there's this thread of, uh, Fred, Archie's dad, yeah. used to love the Ramones 40 years ago. And so, you know, it ends with Archie giving him the record and Fred Andrews being like, oh my gosh. You know, to me, Fred Andrews is a guy who used to rant about what it was like back in the day of the war. So. Well, even uh, Mr. Sure. Weatherby used to be a punk rocker uh, because he shows up at the Ramones concert with his long hair. Weatherby with long uh, Yeah, you got to love the Weatherby. But uh, honestly, this is I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's one of those things where you read a story of a crossover, but it's not really a crossover. And it's really just uh, Hey, look how awesome this thing that I love is. And I'm, I'm just kind of puzzled by the whole thing. Was this one standalone issue? Or was this just an ins- an issue of Archie comics? Uh, no, this was a whole series of Archie meets. So that's where we get, right. Um, Archie did this whole thing where he, uh, it was like Archie meets churches, Archie meets, God, I forget. They met a whole bunch of bands. I think the Lady Gaga issue also ties into the whole thing where they are meeting different rock stars, uh, from the, from these different periods and seeing those influences. The George Takei episode, which wraps up this, was just an issue of Kevin Keller. Yeah, that was just an issue of Kevin Keller. But Alex Segura, music really influences everything that he writes. And so when he started doing the Archie meets the Ramones and churches, and I, I'm sorry, I forget all the other bands that the Archies met in uh, the series the of one shots. Um, social I distortion. I don't know if they met, uh, the monkeys or not. They may have. Um, I know that, that for Alex music is a big part of his influences in writing. And if you've read his, his detective novels, uh, music is a big part of that as as well. A- Ashley, what did you think of this this first story with with the Ramones? I really enjoyed uh, the story with the Ramones. I think they were the only band I was familiar. Oh, good. With. I was going to ask if you were familiar with with the Ramones. Besides the Monkees, I'm trying to think, and I can't remember my music tastes the rest. That when the Beatles broke up, uh, so <laughs> I I liked this one. I'd actually read this issue previously, so I was like, "Ooh, great!" Like a primer that I'm familiar with. I thought the art was really cute, and for me, like I can forgive a lot of sins and a lot of tropes because that's kind of what Archie lives in. If the art is beautiful and adorable, yeah. So it looks like, uh, and that's what I, when I saw the Ramones on the cover, I thought, oh, this is going to be them meeting all of, all of the, uh, characters. So they, they did Glee, they did uh, B-52s, they met the monkeys, and I'm trying to see if there was one more in this. I don't see it, uh, really quickly, but those are who else they met, the B-52s, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to, to that. So that may be five issues. Uh, Rodrigo, you're also very familiar with, um, uh, the Ramones. what did you think of this? Uh, it was enjoyable, and I and I'll say that definitely the highlight for me was the art. Um, yes, Giselle Lagasse, I think um, Giselle is amazing. Yeah, does a really fantastic job of taking the Archie House style and putting it on really a more dynamic body, right? On on a more dynamic kind of a. Uh, canvas or situation or, or mm-hmm. breakdown of everything that's going on mm-hmm. um also art wise uh this book has a couple things that i never expected to see in an archie book uh number one somebody puking into a toilet in the background <laughs> number two uh a, a guy that's clearly about to have a threesome um <laughs> just you know it's uh there's a lot going on in this comic um, have you ever read giselle's uh comic menage a trois uh, maybe it, it's a, it's yeah. a web comic series. It, yeah, it, I think it's I a little risk. It's pretty risque. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And her art is, is really fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And then, so then the next one that, the, that Archie gets to meet or actually it's more Betty gets to meet uh lady Gaga. She goes to a concert in just regular garb and she is transformed by uh lady Gaga's performance. And so she decides to become a version, uh, her own take on Lady Gaga. What is it? Uh, uh, Lady Baba. Baba. La- Lady Baba. 
in this. Uh, and of course, all of Riverdale goes nuts. They don't know who this person is in these elaborate costumes, but her songs are great. And, you know, we find out in this story that uh, Betty wants to do this because she wants to be known as something other than just the tambourine girl in the Archies. And so uh, by the end of the, the issue, Lady Gaga makes an appearance and says, you're doing great. And yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Ginger, Matthew, you said, yuck. Yeah. You didn't like this? You don't like Lady Gaga? I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't want to jump over the guy. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy this in, entire trade, but really? I feel like the, the Lady Gaga. How dare thing, you? This is the internet. Yeah. Life sucks. <laughs> get a helmet. The Lady Gaga thing. Yeah. Okay, so I, uh, I I try not. It's okay to, be, to not like Lady Gaga, Matthew. No, I don't have a problem with Lady Gaga. I just I, I try not to be the the you know the person that you sometimes accuse me of being the guy who hates everything that's popular. But when it comes to like the the Lady Gaga appearances, especially in an Archie comic, I just see Steve Buscemi, and I'm like, how do you do, fellow kids? Because it really, I don't know anything about Gaga's music necessarily. But I don't feel like I know anything more about her other than just, you know, she wears funny meat hats after reading this story that is, you know, technically supposed to be, I think, a celebration of her. Whereas that Ramones story, I felt like I learned learned a little bit at least about the Ramones, sort of, kind of. And so the, the Gaga story just feels like, you know, something that we'd have seen in 1976 as maybe Sean Cassidy or in 1945, where Betty really wants to grow up to be, you know, one of the Andrews sisters. I, I don't know. It just feels like standard issue. You know, here's a here's an Archie story that you'd pick up in any digest at a grocery store to me. Anyway, I don't want to be rude. It's well drawn, though. Dan Parent can still draw. I think the weirdest part is that it is Lady Gaga and I'd have to go back and see the exact release date on, on this, but it would probably be kind of at the height of her, uh, performance, you know, her, um, her bits that she does when she's, when she dresses up in that, uh, the, the poker face, uh, time period, I think is, is what they kind of riff on a lot in, in this issue. Uh, this is definitely before a star is born. I want to say, uh, where she kind of uh, totally redid herself. I thought this one was okay. I'm not a huge Lady Gaga fan, but I thought it was fine. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to say, "Oh yes, uh, Archie meets the Punisher, and Archie meets Predator, and Archie meets all this other stuff," are just you know great examples of uh, crazy crossover stuff. Then Lady Gaga and uh, uh, the Ramones and George Takei that's all that's all fine too. Uh, I think that 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 has to be lumped in in with that. Uh, Rodrigo, what are you, what are your thoughts on? Lady Gaga. Um, yeah, this one didn't seem. It's like I, I felt that the Ramones one was like really, really trying very hard mm-hmm. to be something. Mm-hmm. This one, this one really did actually feel like a standard. And, that, and it may story. have been. I, I don't think that this was Archie meets Lady Gaga. I don't think that this was a standalone. This was right. probably part of Betty and Veronica's, you know, jumbo Gi- digest. I want to say, like, there's some part of it. Is it like, I think I want to say, like, the song lyrics are, like, spoofed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're They're wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're not the real song lyrics. They call it poker head instead of poker face. Yeah, so it's like, clearly they have the rights, you know, to have Lady Gaga on there. Clearly somebody in Gaga's team agreed to it. But like not for the songs, or are they just like, oh, I, you know, I've got a singing Papa Pepperoni at one point, and I'm like, what, what? Yeah, so, so I'm like, what's what's happening here? Why would they not be just singing the the real ones? And it's like, I wonder if it's a thing where it's like they just thought it would be funny, or if like, well, you have the rights to draw something that is similar to Lady Gaga's face, but you can't have any of the lyrics on there. That it's just weird. It's it's just a little strange. Ashley, you have the similar thoughts. Not muted. Uh, yes, I do. And when you also lack any context of any of these performers in any way, uh, it makes it a little tougher to be like, "This is great. This is fun. This is I don't I don't know." They seem like a nice fake person on yeah. panel. 
okay, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's fine. And, I, and, I, and as we read through this, I, we already mentioned George Decay shows up in uh, Kevin Keller issue. Uh, that's what I'm thinking has happened is the Archie crossover collection was not just meant to be the Archie meets all the various bands bits, but it was here are some famous people uh, showing up. And of course, this came out in 2017. So this is this is kind of old already. Um, <laughs> I mean, five years at this Four point, years, but yeah. still, I'm just like, that's kind of old. I read a comic book today that's older than we are. Yeah. See, uh, so some of that stuff maybe seems a little dated. Uh, I think the George Decay issue was fine. I think that gave a good backstory on, uh, who George is for the, for the general reading public who only sees him as Sulu and doesn't know about his, his time in an internment camp and who doesn't know about his sexual orientation or his, his husband, Brad. And so I think that that was a really cool, cool piece at a time, especially when Kevin Keller was fairly radical. I mean, in the pre-show we were talking about uh, Tim Drake, uh, but when Archie comics is like, we're going to introduce a gay character into this. Oh man, you thought the world was coming to an end. So <laughs> to have, I think people like George Takei show up in this issue is actually okay by me. Uh, and I think it, and I think it works well in this context, Rodrigo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, there's something about all of these that has to have this like very kind of distant and sanitized interaction with the people like they you you clearly can't do anything that's going to make them look bad right right and the george takei one being like george takei is in town to do a comic convention and then he stops by a school to talk to someone who wrote about him is like the most reasonable and realistic one especially (laughs) yeah yeah. it's like (laughs) it's it makes sense that everyone is different like not like the universe has to be different to this character that comes from the outside. Right. It's like, you can't, you can't make him look bad. You can't throw any, like you can't put him in any weird situations, but it's like, at least in that one, it like everything that happens, if it feels sanitized or if it feels awkward or whatever makes sense, because it's just like kind of a very real world interaction that you have between like a high school student and a celebrity. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley thoughts on, on that story. I thought that one was pretty cute. Um, I think Rodrigo brought up a really smart point of like the sort of dichotomy and weird Archie specific Venn diagram of like high school student cum celebrity. Cause it's kind of where Archie lives even in his regular life. Like he's kind of famous in his community and in Riverdale. And then mm-hmm. like obviously incredibly iconic in the larger sphere, but it was a cute, it was a cute story. Yeah. Fun. Then we get to a uh, a story that wow does not hold up at all. Yeah, <laughs> that Michael Strahan story. I was just <laughs> like, yeah, what's the deal? This guy, this guy was on TV for a minute. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we we get to we get to hit the uh, the Mark Zuckerberg story, which mm. just, Ooh, I'll I, say it. Yeah, just I mean, even I mean, <laughs> even in hindsight, I mean, even without hindsight. What's his name? Doily. Uh, uh, what's his Dilton Doily. Dilton Doily. Doily. <laughs> you know, he's, he wants to do computer programming and he creates this great app. And then Veronica is like, Oh, I'll show him. I'll hire Mark Zuckerberg to come and write an even better app. And then by the end of the issue, they're best friends. And then it's just like, yeah, but it's Mark Zuckerberg. And it's just like everything that's wrong with social apps that they're, that they're talking about how great they are in, in this issue just falls flat with, with Zuckerberg. I mean, he's just such a does not come across in all of his public presentations in real life as a, as a, a good person. I don't want to come out and and I don't want to say that he's evil or anything like that, but his actions in the public really do not sit right. And they feel very odd in an Archie comic. Can you, can you imagine how weird this comic would be if uh, Michael Strahan had had a hand in undermining American <laughs> democracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To be a child before Congress. Yeah. At the age of 30 something. Yeah. Or just trying to buy up uh, tribal lands in, in Hawaii so he can build his mansion on it. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just, it just, uh, Alex Segura is a very fine person. I probably would have gone back through this trade and said, maybe not Mark Zuckerberg. 
and, and maybe removed that story out of the trade. That's the only thing that I look at in this entire collection that I really was put off by. Everything else is fine. It, to me, Archie Comics is just fun bubblegum stuff, right? That I'm glad uh, characters like Kevin Ke uh, Keller can have a huge impact in people's lives. We were talking in the pre-show about representation and how representation matters. Uh, so I'm glad that we have characters like Kevin Keller, and I'm glad that someone like George Takei can come forward and say, yes, I want to use my likeness and my story to, to you know, help help people understand that it's okay to come out. Mm, but, uh, yeah, these others, I just, uh, the Ramones, fun stuff. Lady Gaga, fine, fine. But the Zuckerberg one, is just, just feels a little tone deaf, to be honest. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, when I, when I got to it, cause I didn't see the, uh, the, uh, the, I, I didn't I didn't recognize him on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what they were doing with that. So when I got to that story, I was like very put off by it and was morbidly curious about how they were going to approach him. And sure enough, approached him in that, again, very sanitized, like, oh, well, I'm in town to do this. Okay, well, let's be friends. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. And it's like, well, here's this very normal person. Yeah. 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 So that's. That's the one that I hated. There is a Michael Strahan, uh, uh, story in here where Moose is afraid to break Strahan's, uh, quarterback sack it's, record. It's about sports. So none of us really actually read it. Uh, actually, I'll say this about the Strahan <laughs> one. It's the one that, that actually breaks the mold because Michael Strahan gets involved in hijinks and in fact, initiates hijinks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure they were on the phone with him and they were, Michael Strahan, we want to put you in the Riverdale Bulldog. And he's like, fine. He's like, hey, uh, can we like wrinkle up a cardboard cutout of you and throw it in the middle of a football field? And he's like, only if I'm the one to wrinkle up a cardboard cutout of myself and yeah. throw it on the field. And they're I like, mean, that, yes, that, that perfect. Is, that, I mean, that's cute. And, and I like the Moose story. It's it's fine. I mean, this whole thing is fine. I, it, yeah. I Matthew, I know you said you just really dislike this this trade, but everything here is fine. If you're looking for, I would definitely say if you're a parent and you buy a physical copy of this, just tear out the, the Zuckerberg pages. Even if you do have someone that's in, even if you do have someone that's in STEM, uh, just, just yank out those Zuckerberg pages and then give the, the rest of the trade to them. I think it's fine, but, but Matthew, you, you just really dislike this. I do. And I think part of the reason is that Cause you don't I've like fun. Been... You don't like fun. Oh, yeah, that's clearly what it is. I'm the guy who doesn't like fun. No, no, you like fun. But here's the thing. Uh, I've been reading comic books longer than half of this panel has been alive. And many of those comics were Archie books. And there are a lot of just plain stupid Archie comics out there. And there are a lot of Archie comics where you're just like, this is great. This is something that takes a very simple structure and a very simple, you know, group of characters. And it does something with them, even if it's just a simple story, even like the Al Hartley Spire comics, where Archie is telling you how great it is to, you know, be a Christian and speak to God. You go through that and you're like, yeah, okay, that's a perfectly fine story. This is something that, you know, some kid could read, but with the exception of, uh, just brilliant art from Giselle, there's nothing here that makes this stand out to me. From, you know, some book that I would have picked up as a, you know, a digest size trade in 1978 or in 1987 or 1993, you know, you get to a point where this is put together and kind of curated as, hey, it's a collection of interesting, weird crossovers. And you kind of get that in the Strahan piece. You kind of get that from Takei. You definitely get it in the Ramon special. But I mean... Tonally, the Lady Gaga piece doesn't fit. And of course, uh, Council has recommended that I not say anything about any characters played or not played by Jesse Eisenberg at this time, Senator. So, you know, that story I just didn't even want to read. I mean, I love Dilton as much as the next guy, but <sighs> even with Archie, even with 10 page silly backups, even with a story that you can drag out and redraw with seventies art from 1956. There's a level of, 
I don't know if I want to say the word is probably not originality, but something like that. There's a level of, of this is itself that I want from a comic book story. And I didn't really get that here. I mean, that's not necessarily saying it's bad. I'm certainly not shooting anybody down. There are some talented artists in here. I really feel like the Kevin Keller story is important. I feel like historically speaking, the fact that Kevin Keller is Archie's first LGBTQI character in the year 2010, but you know, at least not the year 2027 or whatever. I think that's, that's important and it's worth looking at. And, you know, reading this book for me, probably my favorite moment was the point that Rodrigo pointed out where it literally was the characters from Menage a Trois showing up in a cameo in Riverdale or actually mm-hmm. not in Riverdale at CBGB. And so, you know, it's not for me. And I went from, Oh, this is kind of interesting visually to I'm really kind of bored to, I just, I don't even want to read this chapter. And I feel like all in all, I can't recommend something that did that to me. Rodrigo, uh, do you hate fun or do you love fun? Shut up. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, well, I feel like I enjoy fun to a certain degree. Um, (laughs) And, and that's why I'm kind of so, so on this uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, So Archie, like Archie stories outside of like, kind of like the ones that took big swings, like afterlife with Archie or life with Archie um, or life after Archie tend to be very mild and stories that with Archie that on top of that have real world people are so mild that you might as well be looking at a blank sheet of paper, right? At the end of all of these stories, I'm like, what was the point of that? Did that tell us anything about Lady Gaga or the Ramones or Archie or anything else? And again, aside from the Kevin Keller one, where it's like, where it was like a very deliberate, like, here's a gay fictional character in this world. Here's a gay real world character in this world. Like, we're going to use that as a way to talk about racism and to talk about homophobia and stuff. Like, that's that's good. Um, but aside from that, it's like these stories could disappear into the void and like nothing would change. I think. Yeah. That's why I said, rip out the Zuckerberg uh, chapter and this will make the improve the book by at least a full point. So Ashley, you get the final say on the Archie crossover collection. What'd you think? Ooh, I think this book is probably really fun and really adorable. If you are into music, Or if you are into any of the characters that are here. I don't find any of it besides uh, that we, you know, I think we've made our feelings about Mr. Zuckerberg fairly clear. Um, I don't find any of it particularly offensive or even offensively bad. Like your mileage is going to vary on it just depending on how much you like Lady Gaga or anyone else insert characters here. It's not my favorite Archie I've ever read. Um, It's not even my favorite Alex Segura I've ever read. But I had, I mean, it was a quick read. Uh, the art's cute. So it was pretty good. If you're into it, I'd say uh, uh, borrow it from your local library. Yeah, definitely, definitely a borrow in that. And if you're looking for some really great uh, Alex Segura stuff, might I recommend his Pete Fernandez series? Uh, starts out with Silent Series, uh, Silent City. Yeah. Uh, Silent Seri- City is really good. And then I think the second one is. Down the Darkest Street, which I've read that. And then there's Dangerous Ends, which I have never read because they never came out with an audiobook on that. But his Pete Fernandez series is really, really good. And if you're into modern day detective where Pete Fernandez is a investigative journalist, uh, it's it's really good. They're, it's really well put together. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, you and Jason have taken Alex's writing course. We took Alex's pitching course. That's oh, actually how course. we pitched Jupiter Jet and got it greenlit. So, I mean, Alex is in in many ways. We call him Jupiter Jet's grandfather. I like I can't say enough nice things about what an amazing person and what a great creative Alex is. Yeah, he's definitely a really nice guy. He introduced me to, um, uh, you know, Ross McDonald and the Lou Archer series because I was like, oh, man, what are some of your other favorite 
detective stuff. He's like, if you haven't read Lou Archer, you got to read that. And he is Ross McDonald, my favorite uh, detective writer. So there you go. Uh, anyway, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is a bunch of stuff that we have talked about this week. Hopefully you enjoyed the pre-show that you can find over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, we have a lot of stuff over there and, and you can certainly comment over there or, you know, in other places. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience. And as Stephen mentioned, we love your feedback. We want your comments. You can join the rest of the cool kids and also Stephen and I at the Major Spoilers Discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or you can send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com and you might hear your words on an upcoming episode. And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week. Looks like we're talking the Black Mage next week on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC